Welcome. I'm Don Harris. This is Red Letter Edition Live, where the words of Christ are read. In our day of dubious doctrines and ineffective ideas, we'll explore the red words in Scripture and ask the question no one seems to ask today, what did Jesus say? Welcome, welcome, welcome. Man, I love to see you folks over there in the chat room. Back in the days when I was doing radio as a teenager, <laughs> even preaching on the radio, I you always wondered if anybody was listening. <laughs> you know, uh, there's just nothing more discouraging than your producer walking in and saying after your broadcast and you've been preaching for an hour to tell you, hey, the transmitter wasn't working. <laughs> but uh those are those are wonderful days got me ready for what i'm doing now love doing what i'm doing now asking people the question if what you believe is not true do you want to know it you'd think that would that uh, question would be rhetorical the question the answer would be axiomatic but it's not there are a lot of people that uh, would just rather not know you know there's nothing wrong with knowing then there's such a difference between knowing and understanding um, I, I, you know, that's it's one of the uh, one of the aspects of this ministry that I try to get across to people is that there's such a huge difference between knowing and understanding. You know, understanding. The Bible teaches us that understanding is is a gift from God. It's what comes from Him. It doesn't come from anybody else. No Bible teacher, no Bible teacher on the face of the globe can give you understanding. You ever thought about that? No Bible teacher can give you understanding. All they can give you is knowledge. And uh, the the only thing that I demand of anybody who teaches anybody in the body of Christ is that you tell them the truth. Now, how do you know what you say is the truth? Well, you know, the fact is, is a lot of what I tell you is something that I believe if it's, if it's a scriptural fact, I'll tell you it's a scriptural fact. If it's a scientific fact, I'll tell you it's a scientific fact. But, uh, you know, when it comes to faith and it comes to, understand, uh, it comes to obtaining what the Bible says is true, many of the things we have to accept is by faith. Now, for example, when it comes to the calendar, we get a lot of folks that you know, are interested in, oh, so if you don't keep the calendar, you're going to hell? You know, uh, first of all, if, if, you know, that's your question, <laughs> you probably have more problems with your relationship to God than you thought. Because uh, the fact is, is that um, we are not trying to escape hell. You know, I mean, you, you got to get that out of your vocabulary and certainly out of your mind. The idea is to please God. So, do you, is the only way you can please God is by keeping his calendar? Well, I don't, I, there's no way I'm going to tell you that if you don't keep his calendar, you're not right with God. There's no way I'm going to do that. But I'll give you the, the scriptural facts. He says, this shall be the first of the month of the year unto you. That's what the Bible says. Now, whether or not it is indeed a fact... In your life, I don't. I don't know how to help you there. You're just. You're going to have to say. You're going to have to accept what you read in the scriptures, and all the time. Most. Well, I should say most of the time. I try not to speak in superlatives, <laughs> but 
most of the time, our our relationship to God is in the faith area, and our theology should be in the scriptural fact area. But our our knowledge that we gather in our head should be in the scientific or natural fact area. Anyway, um, I have to deal with this and and I and uh, of a philosophy pertaining to immortality. The atheists, and I can't say that this guy Chuck Palahunik, I I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I don't even know who he is. Uh, but I was impressed with that uh, with that quote because this is the atheist answer to immortality. Nobody's going to live forever. We all like to live forever, but we're all going to die. So the idea is to create something that will live forever. That sounds very flowery and very nice, but this guy's wrong. We don't all die. Now, I'm ta- I'm, I say that as if it's some kind of a truth. Do you know that there is no proof whatsoever that some of us are not going to die? Do you know that's a matter of faith? It's a matter of faith that we are going to live. Jesus says, if a man believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And if a man believe in me, he will never die. This is what Jesus said. There is no proof to that, by the way. Because everybody, we know. matter of fact, there's proof to the contrary. So these are, these, this is a, a biblical statement. It is a biblical fact. But it is not a scientific fact. It's not a natural fact. As a matter of fact, nature shows us exactly the opposite of what the Bible says. Now, what are you going to do with that? You see, what we have to do as Christians is we have to put faith in those words. We have to believe that they're true. There is no fact to believe that. Anybody that tells you that that Christianity is all faith, they're about to tell you a lie. They want you to believe something that's not so. Anybody who tells you that, that Christianity can be all factual and that God proves himself to you every day, I'm afraid they're telling you something that's just not so. There are some universal physical laws, laws of physics. There are universal laws of of the entire universe that God has no intention on breaking. There are some things, the scripture can be held to that kind of scrutiny. But I don't want you to think that this is an academic exercise. And there is nothing academic about if a man believe in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. So what does the academic, what does the the atheist or the agnostic do with that kind of a statement? They ignore it. And they make comments like, we all die. I like Woody Allen (laughs) and what he said about immortality. He says, I don't want to achieve immortality through my work. I want to achieve it. Through not dying. (laughs) And that's exactly what I want to do. I don't want to achieve immortality by building a stone monument somewhere that lasts longer than I do. I want to achieve immortality by really not dying. 
Do you know that's possible? We're going to be right back after this break. You're listening to the Red Letter Edition, Weekend Edition. I'm Don Harris, your host. Stay tuned for more. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. We reverse engineer this statement to extract a new theology. If you receive from me, then I abide in you. The average Christian believers invent miracles in their everyday lives. This gives them a sense of security in their wickedness. All we must do is look for a miracle in our life, and we can bypass commandments, bypass harsh examination, bypass extreme changes in our lifestyles, so that the next time a car pulls out of that perfect parking place, you can pretend that God is blessing you as you go your merry way. It's easy. Just say, thank you, Jesus, to label any beneficial situation as miraculous and you need not make any real or lasting changes in your life. He doesn't really care that you secretly indulge yourself in your favorite sin every afternoon. He doesn't really care that you ignore his commandments. He's, after all, a God of love. And he proves it every day by blessing your lukewarm life. Listening to the Red Letter Edition, Weekend Edition. I'm Don Harris. We're talking about the immortality of the soul. First of all, it seems that people do not define these words properly. Do you know the difference difference between immortality and eternal life? Do you know the difference in immortality and eternal life? Immortality is a sum of an equation. That is when eternal life is given to a person, they become immortal. Immortal simply means to not die. That's all it means. Mortal means you're going to die. That's us. All of us. And, uh, and that's where every one of us stand. Now, I know that in modern Christianity, in, mo- in the modern world out there, in, in conventional Christianity, they taught you that if you get saved, that you're actually getting eternal life. God is giving you eternal life at that very moment. Well, the truth is that if you had eternal life, you would be immortal. That means that you would die when you got to be 70 or 80 years old. 
There is no way that God gives us eternal life. Now, he does put his, his, his spirit in us, and his spirit is eternal. But that is why when we die, the Bible says that that spirit goes back to be with God. Because it won't die like your body just did. Now, that spirit is eternal. That spirit has life in it. But eternal life is given to a person at the resurrection, and then they receive immortality. They don't receive immortality. They become immortal. Do you know the difference here? I know we've taken all these churchy words and we've thrown them into the same bucket, and pretending that we understand what they mean, we attempt to use them, but you're not using these words correctly. Eternal means no beginning and no end. Folks, you had a beginning. <laughs> you had a beginning. You are not an eternal being. The the even the uh the name of the doctrine, the immortality of the soul, is only from the time we are born throughout eternity. The, 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 the doctrine, the immortality of the soul, is a Catholic doctrine that was taught that once a person is born, they will never die. I remember as a young Christian dealing with or thinking about trying to work out the, uh, the foolishness of the, of the everlasting life thing. Let's see. Jesus said, if you believe in me, he'll give us everlasting life. But the way I understand it is, is if he doesn't save me, I'm going to spend eternity in hell. First of all, you can't spend eternity. <laughs> Second of all, you can't spend eternity in hell because eternity is is zero time. It's no time. It's it has no beginning, it has no end. There is only one eternal. I used to love the way Herbert Armstrong used that word as the name of God. He called him the eternal. I love that. Because he is the eternal. There is no other eternal. So first of all, let's get some of these definitions right in our own head. So if I die, I'm going to spend eternity in hell. I'll put quotes around it because it's misdefined. But so when Jesus says he's going to give me everlasting life, truly, I already have everlasting life. And there are preachers who will tell you that that, that is so. Some preachers will agree with that. Yes, you already have everlasting life. Now we have to decide where are you going to spend the rest of your everlasting life. Are you going to spend the rest of your eternity in hell? Or are you going to spend the rest of your eternity in heaven? Both of which are absolutely faulty. We don't want to. We will talk about heaven and we will talk about hell because these are all subjects dealing with eternity. I am amazed at how many different doctrines and foundations are disturbed by this false doctrine of the immortal soul. 
If you don't believe the immortal soul, 60% of the other doctrines out there go away. If you don't believe in the, uh, the immortal soul, how can you believe in ghosts flying around your house and moving furniture and stuff? How can you believe that if you don't believe the immortality of the soul, that people never die? All the millions and billions of people that have ever been on the earth, they're still alive somewhere. I've heard people say this. They're alive somewhere. Some of them are caged in, in the lower depths of hell. Some of them are, are in heaven walking around with Jesus. And, and the other ones are in purgatory. No, you don't believe in purgatory? Why not? You believe all the other doctrines that the Catholics teach you about eternity. Why don't you believe in purgatory? Man, we're, we are not, we're nowhere near where we need to be is when it comes to the foundation of our faith and the scriptures. Okay, so eternal is not immortality. Eternal life is not immortality. Immortality comes because we've been given eternal life. Why do you think you're going to live forever? Because he's going to change our physical bodies with his eternal life. And if the body doesn't die anymore, then the body and the spirit don't separate and man remains a soul for all eternity. Now, remember I told you that a soul is the sum of an equation. The body receives the spirit of God and man became a living soul. So, who is immortal at this point? Okay, let's go to the scriptures. Paul says, only one hath immortality. One? Who is he talking about? Well, he's talking about Jesus Christ. And he says, who only hath immortality? Now, wait a minute. I thought, I thought my, my grandma has immortality. No, nobody has immortality. There is only one who hath immortality, and that is none other than Jesus Christ. He was awarded immortality. When his body died and was raised from the dead, it was infused with the eternal life of God, and he was to live forever. Thy throne, O God, Jehovah, speaking to Jesus, thy throne, O God, God is forever. He's going to rule and reign forever. How can he do that? Because he has immortality. You don't. And you won't have immortality until he raises you from the grave. It is the resurrection that is our blessed hope. Not a rapture. Not some salvation that occurs here on the earth and supposedly changes us into eternal beings. It is at the resurrection that these things take place. You're not going to find anything in the scriptures other than that. It's just, it's not going to be there. Now, the doctrine of the immortal soul strictly came from the Catholic Church. They had to have this particular doctrine in order to bolster the practice of purgatory. Now, this is, this is a very cruel thing. 
But the Catholic Church purports that the priests have the ability to get your aunt out of hell. <laughs> but they're not going to do that. <laughs> I, I've never understood that part. I've never understood why anybody didn't get mad at a priest <laughs> for this reason. You have the ability to get my aunt out of hell, and I can get her out of hell if I give you money. But if I don't give you money, you're not going to do it? <laughs> that's, that's incredible. And you're, you may remember when we were teaching on the immortality of the soul, there was a, uh, a movie by Martin Luther, uh, a, a movie about Martin Luther, that was put out by the Lutheran Church, as a matter of fact. And uh, in that movie, um, it was quoted, and, and supposedly history backs this up, that the priests, the Catholic priests, were going around to the different towns, and they were selling eternal life to dead relatives. And this priest would say, as soon as the silver clinks in the chest, a soul flies up to heavenly rest. Now, do you believe they said that? I don't know. It wasn't there. But that's what they taught. Why would you leave your loved ones in the flames of hell when for a handful of silver they could go free? You know, my question is, is how can you have the power to release her from hell and you don't do it? That would be my question. So, the idea of a soul living forever had to be established. You can't have you can't have relatives in the ground, in the grave, in by the way, the, what the Bible calls hell. It's a grave, Hades. You can't have people in the ground awaiting the resurrection in sleep. Like Jesus said, you can't have that and teach purgatory. You have to have them still alive. Out there somewhere, in the flames, being tormented, and you can release them. So, they invented this immortal soul doctrine. Period. That's, that's, what, that's where it came from. There is no reason to believe it otherwise. The Bible teaches that the dead know not anything. Now, okay, that might be a stretch on that particular scripture. But I'm telling you from the beginning to the end, the Bible teaches that we come into this earth and because of Adam all die. All die. What did Jesus what was the word Jesus used for death? It was sleep, was it not? What did the word what word did Paul use? He used the word sleep, did he not? It's a perfect word. We go to sleep in Christ and await the resurrection. At that resurrection, he, we are infused with his inter, eternal life. Therefore, we become immortal souls. And not one minute before. This is what Paul meant when he says that at the resurrection, those of us who are alive and remain shall be changed. Because you don't have it, folks. You don't have eternal... You don't, you don't have... The eternal life of God given to you. Hey, here's, here's, it just occurred to me. Just occurred to me. 
in the Garden of Eden. What was God's concern about Adam's state of sinfulness? We're going to have to block him out of this garden because if he's in this garden, that tree over there, that tree is the tree of life. And if he eats that tree, he'll live forever. Well, why didn't he just let him do that? Isn't that God's plan for you to live forever? Not in the condition you're in now. Thank God that's not his plan. So why would God give me eternal life now in my present state? He's going to give me eternal life. I'm going to become an immortal soul after I'm changed. And so will you. Isn't it nice? When you get all the red letters right, all this stuff starts to make sense. Jesus taught that the death is sleeping. Now, what happened? Some people want to know. Now, what about Lazarus? Was he resurrected? No, really, Lazarus wasn't resurrected. Lazarus was resuscitated. Lazarus was brought back to life. Because he was brought back to life to die again. He wasn't given eternal life. So, technically, I don't like putting the word resurrection on what happened to Lazarus. The little girl that he raised from the dead. The little boy that he brought out of the, out of the coffin on their way to the graveyard. What, what happened to those people? Were they resurrected? No. They were resuscitated. They were healed. Lazarus was simply healed. Yeah, you understand the difference? Because resurrection, I, I, I tend to tie to the resurrection this idea of being brought out of the grave and given eternal life. And at that point, we become immortal. Well, let me ask you this. If God can make us immortal, can he make us mortal again? Is it really once resurrected, always resurrected? That's not so. Because, uh, you know, contrary to what your biggest worry is about making it, <laughs> making it out of this life into the kingdom of God, there's another one coming. There's another judgment. A thousand years after that, the Bible says that Satan is loosed from the pits and he comes up and starts to take people away. You say, that's impossible. How can you live with Jesus for a thousand years and still be deceived? Be careful, because that's exactly what happens. The Bible says he takes away as many as the sands of the sea. So, <laughs> I don't want to discourage you, but uh, there's another judgment coming. Look, I didn't write this book. I'm, all I'm doing is reading it. Here's something that I want you to know. The lie, the big lie, what I call eternal lie. <laughs> Jesus came to give us eternal life. Satan came to kill, to steal, to destroy. Isn't that right? So what is he offering? The eternal lie. 
This lie is so old, it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Your preacher gives you eternal life. You know, on the Red Letter Edition Live weekday show, hey, if you don't know about weekdays, every morning, 6 a.m. Mountain Time, that's 8 a.m. Eastern, uh, we do a live radio show right here from Pie Town, from high atop the Continental Divide. That's right. We're here live every morning, and you should be a part of that. You're invited. Come. But on that show, I start. Uh, we were talking about, I don't know, chasing some rabbit, and it had something to do with eternal life. And, um, and in, in talking about the the lie that's propagated our preachers out there are speaking life into people they are saying that you are saved not only many of them not only are telling you that you are saved they are telling you that you can never be lost and we were talking about the red letters in scripture where jesus said which is easier to say Thy sins be forgiven thee, or rise up and walk. And I thought to myself, wow, really, both of them are equally easy to say. (laughs) But they're not equally easy to prove. But you see, to Jesus, to say something is to mean exactly what you say, and, and prove it, and perform it. So he asked the question, which is easier to say, thy sins be forgiven thee, or rise up and walk? And I thought, hmm, rise up and walk, people are looking for proof on that one. But thy sins be forgiven thee? How are you going to prove that? How will you prove that sins are forgiven? Well, folks, you can't. So therefore... The preachers of today have chosen this direction to go. They have chosen to tell you, your sins are forgiven. How do you know my sins are forgiven? Tell me, please. How do you know that my sins are forgiven? Well, the Bible says right here. Oh, no, okay, you're telling me how the Bible is forgiving me? (laughs) How do I know that God has forgiven me? Well, it says right here, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God has raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the mouth... And, and they quote the scripture, and they say, that if you confess your sins, then he's faithful just to forgive your sins. And, and they keep quoting scripture. Okay, you're telling me how the Bible is going to forgive me? Or are you telling me how God is going to forgive me? Well, is God a liar? That's That's what they resort to. But listen, there is no proof that your sins are forgiven. And so therefore, these preachers are telling people that their sins are forgiven. How come you know my sins are forgiven? Because the Bible, blah, blah, blah. Do you see how dangerous this is? Which is easier to say? (laughs) Well, I'll tell you. The easiest one to say is, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now let's go all the way back. To the Garden of Eden, and let's look at for just a moment the first. Well, this wasn't the first lie, but the first time this lie was told. How about that? That's what we'll do. 
But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. These are the words of God himself to his man and his woman. Satan walked up and said, Genesis 3, 4, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. The serpent said unto the woman, Hey, babe, once saved, always saved. (laughs) The serpent said unto the woman, Hath God said? I mean, it's the same lie. You're not going to die. You're not going to die. You've got eternal life. You've got immortality. You're not going to die. You're not going to die. You're going to live forever. You're going to walk on streets of gold. You're not going to die. You're not going to die. Listen, the wages of sin is death. Hey, you're going to die. And I'm going to tell you you're going to die. And you know, if nobody in the world had ever died, the scriptures say you're going to die. Do you believe what the scriptures say? Death came on all men, the Bible says. By the disobedience of one, which is Adam, death came, and death reigned upon all. Have you ever known anybody that lived to be 160 or 180 because there wasn't enough death to get him? Or he somehow missed it? No, death is death, and it's upon all, and it is the wages of sin. The wages of sin is death, not dying, going to hell, and burning forever and ever, being stuck by a big red pitchfork in a guy with a red suit. It's not melting in hell like wax candles and living forever in hell. That is that Nowhere do you find that in the scriptures. By the way, if you want to find that, If you'd like to find the descriptions that you've always heard about hell, read Dante's Inferno. Maybe Milton's Paradise Lost. But forget your Bible, because it's not there. So, is there any truth in living forever? Yeah, there's truth in it. But it comes after the resurrection. The idea that you're never going to die came straight out of the garden, straight out of the mouth of Satan, and straight out of the Catholic Church. And yes, there is a difference. Um, you understand that the spirit, and it does not equal soul. Do you know that a man's spirit is not his soul? Do you understand that? Because a lot of people put those two things together. Do you know Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder, dividing asunder, the, the, the cutting apart of the soul and the spirit. These, the soul and the spirit are so closely related and so similar to one another, it's hard to tell them apart, but the word of God, and who is that? can divide this for you. You can understand this by the Word of God. The Word of God is sharp. And it can divide for you, even in your own mind, the difference in the soul and the spirit. There is a difference. So when the Bible says your spirit goes to be with God, does that mean you've gone to be with God? 
Are you your spirit? I've always been fascinated by the fact that many people are willing to say that, yes, indeed, my spirit is me. I am my spirit. But almost no one is willing to say that I am my body. My body is me. But your spirit and your body coming together create your soul. And when they separate, that soul doesn't exist. You understand that? You take the ingredients of a cake and you put them together and you've got a cake. If there was some way to take those things apart, you wouldn't have a cake anymore. A cake is the sum of an equation. Your soul is the sum of an equation. The Spirit of God is going to come back and and infuse itself into your body and you're going to become a living soul again. This is such a such an actual experience that when it happened to Jesus and he went to be with the Father at the right hand of God, do you know what the Father said to him? He says, this day have I begotten thee. What? I thought, I thought he gave his only begotten son. I thought he was begotten of God way before now. He was begotten of God before the foundation of the earth, I thought. I thought that he was begotten when he was when he was implanted in Mary to be born. His father was God. Wasn't he begotten then? All those things may be true. But when he went to the father, the father said, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Who did he beget on that day? The resurrected Christ. The one that came back from the wages of sin. Ha ha! He came back from death, didn't he? The wages of sin isn't hell and burning forever. The wages of sin is death. And he suffered that for us. He actually paid that wage by dying. Because that's well, that's the wage that sin pays. Although he never sinned, he paid that wage. Isn't that amazing to think about? Isn't it nice that all this can make perfect sense? We're going to be right back here. We're at the end of the show. Those of you who can't stay with us, we hate to see you go. Next half hour, emails, phone calls. See you then. <laughs> 